Lord God, as we stand in your presence, it's with an acknowledgement that you are God and you love us. You desire that we would enter into your throne room before you. You desire to hear from us, which if we just stop and think about that for a moment, that really is amazing. Thank you for that privilege. And now as we stand before you and as we consider what we've heard today, we consider the, the places we've seen you at work, but we also consider those who have needs and are suffering and grieving. Lord God, we are humble before you. We need you, Lord God. We need you to heal our country. We need you to heal us. Lord, I think about what's going on with the election and with the transfer of power. And Lord, we, as we prayed last week, we just, we need you to speak and for the truth to be made known. We need to move forward as a country. But God, we recognize that if, if we move forward without you at the center, we move into a place of danger. It is our desire that you would be the center of all that we are as the United States of America. The truth and love would be what we are known for throughout the world. God, we pray for the leaders of this country who are making difficult decisions in the light of difficult circumstances. I pray, Lord, that our hospitals and medical workers would be given strength to get through this time that is difficult. I pray for our political leaders that they would lead us toward truth and not away from it. I pray for the leaders of this church, Lord, our national leaders, God, Jim Lyon, our general director, give him wisdom. I pray for the national youth organization that is making difficult choices. I pray, Lord, for the leaders of this church, our board of trustees, who have had to wrestle with things they didn't expect that they would be wrestling with when they said yes to serving in leadership of this church. God, we need your wisdom. God, we need your wisdom. God, we need your wisdom. Help us, Lord. As a church, as a people, as a community, as a state, as a nation, God, we need you. As I look at this list and I see names on here of people that we have lost, and even as Chris in this moment is grieving, we pray that you would be the comforter. Holy Spirit, please be here. Lord, there are many who need your healing touch. There are many who are, even in our own church, there are those who are at home with COVID. Lord, there are those who are dealing with all kinds of physical ailments, cancer and cancer treatments. God, we just, we just know we need you. Help us, God. Help us to be a people who are humble in your presence. Help us to be a people who love each other. Just help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. It is the first Sunday of Advent, and the very first video we showed this morning, uh, the video of what Advent is, I hope you had a chance to, to read the words of that video. Uh, if you missed it, you can maybe go back and watch it later and, and just be reminded about what Advent is. The word Advent means appearing or arrival. That's what the word means. And so when we celebrate Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, it means we are celebrating the appearance, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And each Sunday, we light candles, uh, a way of anticipating the arrival of Christ. And this morning, we will light the first candle, the candle of hope. Jack, would you please play the video or mic? hope. Merry Christmas. This is where you say Merry Christmas back to me. <laughs> Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I know. It's, it's still only November. I can see my son in the front row wriggling in angst even now as we are talking about Christmas before December's even here. I'm sorry, my son. Well, I guess I could just say happy holidays. How about happy Hanukkah? Happy New Year? How about happy Kwanzaa? Should I say all those things too? Well, just stop, Pastor Jason. Stop. This is getting confusing, isn't it? Well, I would say yes. Christmas is getting confusing. And if you think it's getting confusing for us adults, imagine how confusing Christmas is for children. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, jingle bells, jingle bells. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. 
He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You had better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. That is messed up. Have you ever considered the words of that song? I mean, really, that's scary. Like, there's some guy watching us. What's up with that? Yikes. Christmas is very confusing. Flying reindeer with glowing noses. Santa Claus, mistletoe. Mistletoe, what does that have to do with Christmas? Christmas trees, ornaments, lights, inflatable snowmen that flop around. I, what, what's going on? What does all of this mean? We better pray. Lord God, as we open up your word, as we consider what you would have for us, it is our desire, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Help us to hear from you what you want us to understand about you today. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start off right away by saying parents and grandparents of small children. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this right away. Some of you might be uncomfortable with where this sermon is going, but please don't worry. I'm not going to do any big life-changing slash Christmas-changing revealing of information type things, okay? So just so you know, parents, grandparents, that's not what I'm doing. And I'm pretty sure you know what I mean. I will leave that conversation in your capable hands. Okay, now that I've said that, let's get down to business. I'm going to teach you a new word today. Well, it's actually not totally new. I've taught this word to you before, but it has been a long time, years. It has been years since I said this word to you. The word is syncretism. Syncretism. Now, you probably don't remember, but like I said, I have taught this to you before. Syncretism. Does anybody think they can define that word? Anybody in here think they know what that word means? Pastor Mark. Putting two things together that mean more together than they meant separately. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. My definition is slightly different, but I think yours is also right. Syncretism is the combining or mixing together of two different things or two different thoughts or two different religions. So let me explain. Think of two people who view the world in two very different ways. Now suppose those two people come together and share their ideas together and the ideas get combined together. Then an entirely new idea comes out the other side. This new idea, this new thing, it has elements of both of the original ideas in it, but it is in fact, this new thing is in fact something new and something different than what the two original things were. Now, at first glance, when I say that, it sounds like it might be a good thing. I mean, think about it. We are America. We are the melting pot, right? We are the place where different ideas can come together and, and they, can, they can be brought together and make something even better, even stronger. Okay, I understand that idea of the melting pot, and I don't even disagree with that, except, except when it comes to the things of God. 
When it comes to the things of God, syncretism is a very bad thing. In fact, if you are familiar with the Old Testament and you have read it carefully, you will begin to understand that this idea of syncretism, I know it's a fancy sounding word, but in many ways, God's entire message to the Israelites was don't use syncretism. Again, the word syncretize comes from that word, right? To, to harmonize, to bring together. But God's, God's, much of God's statement to the Old Testament Israelites was, do not bring together with me, worship of me, worship of other things. Or bringing together something unholy with something that is holy. These things, I mean, the word holiness means to be separate from, right? So, the idea of syncretism, to bring the holy with the unholy together to create something new, is something that God said, do not do. In fact, you can make an argument that most of the Old Testament, the, the, the law was an idea of not allowing that to happen. And we've talked about, uh, you know, like the Samaritans were a group of people who brought together the things of God with other religions and made something new, a new religion. And that's why the, the ancient Israelites did not like the Samaritans. I've told you that before. Because the Samaritans had pieces of God in their thought, but they had mixed it together with the thought of other things that were not of God. The syncretism was to be avoided as an abomination, as something unholy. Syncretism does not work well with God. God is not a fan of combining other ideas and other religions together with the way he has set things up to work. God is holy, set apart. So just think about this for a second. If God is holy, then do you suppose he wants us to mix things up with him? And of course, the answer, which I've already been saying for the last three minutes is no. And then you think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Have you ever watched that movie? It's a stop-motion movie. If you haven't watched it for a while, go back and watch it. It's weird. It's like whoever made that movie, I'm not sure what they maybe were on, but it's very strange. If you go back and watch that movie again, you're going to be like, oh, my kids are watching this. What strange ideas are they getting about Christmas from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Now, I know you might be thinking, where's Pastor Jason going with this? Next, he's going to tell us not to read Harry Potter books. I mean, don't, don't go off the deep end here, okay? What I'm trying to tell you is that it is not good, just as a general statement, it is not good to combine the things of God with things that are not of God. And yet, is there any time in the entire year when we do this more than Christmas? Christmas is one big amalgamation of Christianity with secular. It's one big mess. And then we wonder why our kids are confused. 
I mean, you just, you just watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you tell me, you, you will now know why our kids are confused. Do you know what is not in the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie? Do you know what is not in that? Jesus. Not even one little teensy-weensy message about Jesus is in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Nothing. So the question I'm asking you today on this first Sunday of Advent, it's really kind of a, a simple question. Is there room in your Christmas for Jesus? Or have you pushed Jesus to the side, to the edge of your Christmas festivities? Is, is the birth of Christ the center of what you celebrate? And more importantly, do your children and grandchildren know that it is Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas? Or are they confused? You'll know if they're confused if they're more worried about the presence than they are about Jesus. Yeah, that will become availably clear to you. It's not a difficult question, is there room in your, Christ, in your Christmas for Jesus? And yet it, it does seem to be terribly difficult, doesn't it? Well, I want to give you a little example. Now, I've said this example before, but it's a good example, and I think it's worth saying again, so I'm going to repeat it. So for many years here at New Life Church of God, we've done release time, as you know, and for many of those years, I taught the second grade boys release time class. I have since turned that class over to Carolyn Truax and Bill Ward. So Carolyn, thank you. I have more hair in my head because you took that from me. Uh, second grade boys are a unique breed, and I love them, and they make me lose my hair. So there was one particular Christmas when we had a little Christmas party at release time, and a number of years ago, I showed a video about the history of Christmas and how it has become what it is today. It told about the true meaning of Christmas, and it exposed certain elements of our Christmas celebration for what they really are. By the way, this video is in our church library. If you would like to see this video and show it to your family, I will be happy to help you check it out. So, this, this, this video, it, it talked about like where all of these traditions that we celebrate on Christmas came from. You know, Yule log and Christmas trees and stockings above the fireplace, all that kind of stuff. It also talked about, you know, one important person who we often celebrate on Christmas. I, I won't say who that is, but um, it's not Jesus. So you're following me. So we had, this, we had this video, and when the video was done, a couple of boys, they asked some questions. Their hands went up. I said, any questions when the video was done? We had the last five minutes of class, and their hands went up. I said, okay, what's your question? And let's just say they asked me some very direct, specific questions about some of these, and specifically one very important question about one very big thing about Christmas that has nothing to do with Jesus, okay? And I told them. I told them what Christmas really was and what it really was not. Well, about an hour later, um, I was getting ready for youth ministry that night, and I was thinking about many different things. I got a phone call at the church. And some of you have heard this story. But I got this phone call, and I, um, well, I, you probably know where this is going. On the other end of the line was an angry parent. 
And when I say angry, I mean this person was really mad. Okay? Like they were cussing me out. Four-letter word type stuff. Uh, this parent was so angry. He's so angry that I, I actually thought he was going to come to the church. And he was going to set me straight with his fists. That's how angry this person was. And the conversation went something like this. Who do you think you are? How dare you talk to my child about this important information? Right? My reply was, I was faced with a situation where the students asked me a direct question about this issue. And my only two choices were to lie to them or tell them the truth. Christmas is about Jesus. I told them the truth. His reply, Oh, I see. You're one of those blankety-blank churches. You think that Jesus is the only way to heaven, don't you? You blankety-blank, narrow-minded, blankety-blank, blankety-blank, pathetic blank. My reply, you're right. Jesus is the only way to get right with God. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was my reply to this guy. And I said, there is no other, and Christmas is completely about him. Got hung up on. That was a fun time for me. I thought he was going to come and, and, and say hi to me in person. He did not. If he did, I was planning on taking the punch. That was my plan. I was just going to try not to lose my teeth if possible. <laughs> you know, you, there's ways of taking a punch without losing teeth. So I was, I was prepared. Do you know what's fascinating to me about that conversation? Now, by the way, just to be clear, at the time, I did not think that was fascinating. At the time, I was like, what am I doing in ministry? I, there's easier jobs than this. But thinking back, looking back, I am fascinated by that. You know why? Because looking back, I realized that parent was defending this issue as if it were a religious belief. Let that sink in. It was as if Christianity had become a threat to the religion that he had been teaching his children. Now, you know what religion I'm talking about. It's the religion that has combined Christianity with the secular to create something new. And in that religion, there are things that become sacred, things that have nothing to do with Jesus. I had ran into this guy's religious belief, and it didn't match Jesus Christ. Syncretism. What have we made Christmas? Is it about presents? Is it about being happy? Is it about spreading cheer? Is it about decorating the house? Is it about eating ham? Is it about sleigh rides? Is Christmas even about just getting together with family? Now, none of those things are bad. 
Like in and of themselves, those things are not bad. I mean, they're okay. It's not wrong. You're not a sinner if you sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's, that's, if you got that out of this sermon, you, you have missed the point, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But there is something terribly wrong when all of those things become more important than Jesus. When those things become the thing that we are celebrating with Christmas. Well, let's do a couple more vocabulary words, shall we? I like vocabulary words. I want to read to you the only passage of Scripture that I'm going to put on the screen today, and this is on purpose. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The word is Emmanuel. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. And what's described here is another word I want to tell you, and that's incarnation. The incarnation. Do you know how I, I remember the word incarnation? I, so if, if you go to the, to the Mexican restaurant in Wadena or Staples and you order carne asada, have you ever done that? You ever order carne asada? Do you know what carne asada, does anybody like carne asada in here? Anybody? Like three people? Yeah. Do you know when you order carne asada, the word carne, it means meat or flesh. So cooked flesh, <laughs> cooked meat. That's what carne asada is. Incarnation. The root word in Spanish, carne, comes from Greek, just like the root word for Incarnation. Carne means flesh. Incarnation in the flesh. It sounds like a fancy Christian word, but it's really not a fancy Christian word. You're saying it every time you order carne asada. In the flesh. God with us in the flesh. Consider this. Consider the power of this. God, the creator of the entire universe, he became one of us. We were visited by God himself 2,000 years ago in the flesh. Well, let's do a little comparison. Let's take a popular guy around Christmas, you know, Santa Claus. Let's compare him with God. Santa Claus flies around giving gifts to little boys and girls. Well, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. And now consider the comparison against God. God created everything. Our sun produces about 
the same amount of power as if a trillion nuclear bombs exploded every second. That's how much power our sun generates every second. And there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy producing one trillion nuclear bombs worth of power to power our entire earth every second. And there are 100 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion stars, creating a trillion, did you get that? Every second. A trillion days worth of power, every years worth of power every second. Okay? Our God produced all of that with one word. Does that seem like the kind of guy we should scooch over to the edge of Christmas? Because that's what we do. Why do we do this? Why, why do we uphold so much less? Why do we combine what is so much infinitely less? Why do we combine it with the infinite God? The God who was with us, became one of us, became in the flesh. Why do we put those things together? And scooch the infinite God to the side. I, I want to quote Phil Vischer here. This, this is a quote from that video that I showed those release time boys. So this is a quote from that video. Sometimes we think about God like he is Santa Claus. Just a goofy old guy who lives to give us candy and toys. We all like the idea of Santa Claus, but we don't really respect Santa Claus, do we? What's the worst that he could do? Not give us some toys? When we think about God like he is Santa Claus, we don't really think about him very seriously. God is not Santa Claus. God does not exist to give us toys. He created the universe. And Christmas is the time when we celebrate God becoming one of us. Emmanuel, the incarnation. Is there room in your Christmas for Jesus? Why did God do this? Why did he become a human? Well, let me tell you the good news. God became a human so that he could live a sinless life, therefore becoming the perfect sacrifice. You see, there's nothing that we can give to God to overcome the weight of our sin. The separation from God that exists when we sin is greater than anything that we can give to bridge that separation. The only hope to restore our relationship to God was for someone perfect to die in our place. That perfect sacrifice was Jesus. And unless he came to earth, God with us, in the flesh, and lived a perfect life, and then willingly gave his life for us, unless that happens, we don't have life eternally. The story of Christmas is a story about, without Christmas, we go to hell. That's the story of Christmas. It's good news. He suffered the consequences that our sin deserved. 
And by dying for us, he took those consequences we deserved on himself. His death gives us the chance to reconnect with God because he paid the price that allows us to have relationship again. The only way that happens is if a perfect human dies in our place. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen if there's no Christmas because it requires God to be with us, Emmanuel. God to come in the flesh, incarnation. And this is good news. This is good news. If you don't know Jesus as Emmanuel, now's the time. If you've never heard what I just said to you just now, if you've never made that connection, now's the time. Christmas is a perfect time. And if we're, if we're celebrating Christmas correctly, not with syncretism, if we're celebrating Christmas correctly, the, the clear message of the gospel will come through every time we talk about Christmas. Hey, isn't it strange that it seems like, well, Pastor Jason, what you just said, there's an Easter sermon. No, it's not just an Easter sermon. Because you have to have the incarnation to understand Easter. You have to have God coming in the flesh to understand what Easter means. I would ask you to consider this word syncretism as you consider the beginning of the Christmas season. Now's the time. Parents, grandparents, now's the time for you to think about what you do and why you do it for Christmas. And here's the thing. This Christmas is different because 2020 has been different. So here's what you're going to have to overcome. And I, I just... I just try, I want to just be real with you. I mean, I'm, I'm always trying, I always want to be real with you, but do you know how difficult it was? I, maybe you don't, but I'm telling you, just to get the Christmas decorations out for the church this year. I didn't want to, right? You guys know, Becca, when I sent you a text, you and Mike, and I said, it's time to decorate for Christmas because Becca's our Christmas decorator, or she's our seasonal decorating coordinator, which, by the way, my understanding is you'd love to let someone else have that job, right? Okay, so if God is calling you to that position, Becca would love to have a conversation with you. But well, I, I sent a text earlier this week to Becca and Mike, and I said, it's time to decorate for Christmas. And I, I sent like a Christmas wreath, and I was trying to be all happy about it. But she saw, us right, she saw right through that. We were all just like, oh, I just don't have the energy. Right? I mean, 2020 has just taken it out of all of us. Right? So poor Mike Quantz, who's now on staff here, so he has to do what I tell him occasionally. <laughs> I'm like, Mike, we got to get the Christmas decorations down. And he's, he tried really hard to hide it, but the contempt was in his eyes. He's like, no, anything but that. I will clean the dead mice out of the bus, anything but that. But I'm like, no, we got to do this. So we got it down. And then I talked to, to the Ward family, and the Wards were like, Oh, because they donated this tree. I think the Ward family thought, has thought twice or three times about maybe they shouldn't have donated the big tree because they've been stuck setting the big tree up now ever since they donated the big tree. 
And so they're just like, oh. And so Bill negotiated with me. Bill's like, look, Jason, look, Pastor, if you get the tree down from the closet and set it up, we'll put the ornaments on. It was a negotiation. It, was, it felt like a hostage negotiation. And I was like, okay. But then I said, but I'm not trying to figure out how to put the lights on because I can't figure it out. And he's like, okay. So we both gave. It was a compromise. So we got the stuff down and we put the things up and, and Becca and Mike sent this pleading text out to a very select few people. Please come and help decorate the church. I'm exaggerating just a little, but I know that's what you were thinking. And so, yes, we showed up. A select few of us showed up. Now, you can't tell, but in the darkness, there's a whole lot of red light up here. We have got red Christmas lights everywhere. The, the, the point of this story is to let you know, it, w it felt like pulling teeth. Like I would have rather gone to the dentist that day than to come back to the church and set up Christmas. Because it's so, it's just like, you know what? 2020 has just been so much. Let's just skip it. Right? I mean, I had that feeling. Okay, so here's the point of all that story. I'm giving you this message today because I am trying to encourage you to do it. Do it. Of all of the years that your children need the normalcy of setting up Christmas decorations, this is the year. More than any other. And of all of the years when you are setting the decorations up together as a family, of all of the years when you as parents and grandparents need to explain the decorations as you put them up, it's this year. So when you set up the Christmas tree, right, and your kids are going, now they, they might not ask this, but have you ever wondered, what does the Christmas tree have to do with Christmas? What does this have to do with Jesus? Why are we putting a tree in our room? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. We're, we're going to cut down a tree that was alive to put in our house as it's dead to celebrate that Jesus was born. What is going on with the Christmas tree? Well, what an opportunity for you to say to your kids, the Christmas tree is a triangle. The reason we set it up is because it represents the Trinity. The original Christmas trees that were put up in Germany way back in like the 1500s, it was, a, it was a way to combat the paganism that was in the German culture. And it was a way to say we are not going to syncretize these things together. We are going to take this and be reminded every day when we wake up during the Christmas season of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And how that union of the three the one God in three persons, was made real at Christmas as God himself, God the Son, came to earth, God with us in the flesh. And every day that we look at the Christmas tree, it's a reminder. And the star on top or the angel on top, I just don't, if, if you put a Darth Vader on the top of your tree or something like that, I'm going to recommend, may, I mean, I put, we put Star Wars Christmas ornaments on, but like if the top is Darth Vader, can I just say maybe you should move to an angel or a star? Even a cross would be good. Like 
The star, of course, is the star of Bethlehem, or the angels, the angels that were there, part of the Christmas story that announced Jesus. As you set these things up this year, your children will be confused if you don't keep Jesus as the center of this. Your grandchildren will be confused if on Christmas Eve night or Christmas Eve morning, whenever you open presents, if the presents are the main event, they will be confused. The main event is Jesus. If it has not been a part of your family to read the Christmas story from the book of Luke before you open presents, then start a tradition this year to read the Christmas story. And it's going to feel weird because the culture in your family has not been with Jesus at the center if it feels weird to read the Christmas story before you open presents. You have to be intentional about this or your children will be confused. They will be. And maybe you are. This year, it's going to take more energy than on a normal year to do this. All the more reason to focus even more. All the more reason to make all of this a family event. All of the more reason to be extra intentional about what Christmas really is. Is there room in your Christmas for Jesus? Because if not, where are you leading your family? It's not wrong to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, okay? You're not an evil person if you do that. It's not wrong to have Star Wars ornaments on the tree. It's obviously not wrong to enjoy a family meal at Christmas. But do not syncretize those together with the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus must be the subject of Christmas. And so, on the first Sunday of Advent... I exhort you, make room in your Christmas for Jesus.